Episode 11, The Paul George Show welcomes Chris Faddis. They didn't really candy coat it. They didn't really know what else to say. And everything went black for me. Like I, It was like shattering glass all over the floor, you know? The Paul George Show. Welcome to The Paul George Show, talking nutrition, redemptive suffering, and Paul's criminal record. A co-production of Christ Our King Radio and Breadbox Media. Here's your host, Paul George. Welcome to the show. It's Paul George in studio with Casey Trohan, CT. Hey, hey, hey. I thought you were supposed to try and think of a new nickname this last week. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I'm stuck, man. But I don't know if you saw in the news, man, uh, which our segment here, have you seen? <laughs> it, it's it's like an official, you're, unofficial you're segment. Now. Yeah. Okay, have you seen? Yeah, can you do like some music stuff for that? I keep saying I will. You're supposed to do all these musical intros, man. I know. I mean, I do you know a, how I, much you get paid to do this show? <laughs> a whole nothing. <laughs> we both make a whole nothing. A at zero this point. plus zero, right? The music is coming, Paul. The music is coming. Maybe if we pulled our collective money together, which is zero plus zero, we'd be able to put some music. <laughs> but you are talented. It's not like you can't do it, and you just choose not to. Anyway, did you see this woman? <laughs> she got arrested um, for stealing. Guess what she stole? Oh. A Bible out of a bookstore. What? <laughs> yeah. Who does that? That's what I want to know. That's what the segment should be named. Who does that? Who does that? Stole a Bible from... I, Walks into a bookstore and steals something. What she stole was a Bible. That reminds me. So I've, I've heard people say that people will steal their, like, their nativity set or their statue of Mary, Mary from their front yard. There's a slight disconnect there, uh, you know, with stealing a Bible. But but would you say it's okay to steal a Bible if you're using it? Like like what? Like a Jean Valjean stealing bread kind of thing? Um, like Robin Hood, I, man. I don't know. Like maybe she really needed the Bible and she just couldn't afford it. I, just, I doubt it. I okay, doubt so if you're case. a bookstore owner, okay, and someone stole a Bible and you caught them, what would you do? Oh, no, give them the Bible every time. Every time. Okay, so you would just be like, ma'am. Okay, so if someone came to your bookstore and said, look, I can't afford a Bible, can you give me one? I don't have that problem. I like to say, yeah, just give it all away, but I don't have books to answer to, so maybe that's just not possible. Okay, so what I would do is I would buy a whole, like, crate of, like, cheaper Bibles. Right. Yeah, and if somebody, like, and I would just maybe put a sign on the door that says, if you need a Bible, can't afford a Bible, and are tempted... Please don't steal my leather one. Take this one. (laughs) And tempted to steal one, talk to me, and I'll give you one. Is that fair enough? See, again, there has to be precedence for that sign, and now there is. <laughs> well, it's like the sign when I went to this Chinese restaurant. It said, uh, um, no sleeveless shirts allowed. Okay. They, they would kick you out without sleeveless shirts. So I'm in the restaurant, and I'm, like, baffled by the sign on the door. I'm like, how can they tell people they can't wear a sleeveless shirt or muscle shirt? Now, I don't wear sleeveless shirts, okay? And so I, being me, asked the woman... <laughs> who was serving our table, um, she, I said, why no sleeveless shirts? And she says, because um, armpit hair falling buffet. That's what she said, because armpit hair falling buffet. And I almost threw up in my mouth. <laughs> well, no, it's not an issue. They put the sign on the door. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, so if you want to steal a Bible, just 
just ask and I'll give you a Bible. I love the way your mind works. It, it connects these things that have no track, but somehow. People tell me that all the time. Like, how did you connect that? I'm like, I have no idea, man. I'm like, I'm the most ADD all over the place. Uh, anyway. So what's your uh, next segment, Paul? So, so, so this is what I've been thinking. So this time of year, fall, reminds me because you know, it's Halloween and all the holidays comes up. It reminds me of weird stuff. And I'm always weirded out by the weird things people do over Halloween. And uh, one of the things that I was I was looking up are, are weird saints, okay. you know, people who live a life, and now they're patron saints of something something really strange. Plenty of them, yeah, plenty of them. Now I was surprised how many crazy stories. Now I don't know how many are actually you know it's completely documented or some of it's sort of myth and legend around these mm-hmm. people because they're they're from so long ago. Uh, but uh, did you know that we had a patron saint of fireworks? Okay. Yeah. So Saint. Barbara is a patron saint of fireworks, but here's why. So she converted to Christianity, right? And her dad was ticked off about it and put sentenced her to death because he was pagan. And so, but he wanted to execute her. So he executed his own daughter, cut her head off. Where was this? Uh, This is like, um, let me see. Oh, man, it's all over the place. What's crazier than the actual saint sometimes is what... People do in memory of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Catholics so, are fantastically weird. So how does she become the patron saint of fireworks? So her father's traveling back in his convoy, right? And he gets struck by lightning <laughs> after after he executes his daughter. So, so wait, wait, and the fact that he's a, a pagan makes it even better. So God chooses to, to execute not only ironically – through fireworks, but as Zeus. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so picture perfect. It's picture perfect. Yeah. So So who else you got? You got Saint Barbara. I know Saint Dennis is one of my favorites. He's the he's the one that was beheaded and then picked up his head and preached a homily walking all the way back to his home parish. Yeah, I mean how much is that as real or is it legend? I mean that's fascinating to me. Now I, I did you know, I've seen like when you cut the head of a chicken off and it runs around for a while. I mean, does that happen with, I, I don't know about, I don't <laughs> the whole idea is that it's miraculous. And yeah, you're right. Some of it's legend, but some of it's just hilarious. So, um, I, I forget, you're going to have to help me with this one, but there's a saint whose breasts were cut off. Now, again, that's what? her breasts were cut okay. off. Okay. Which is, you know, tragic story. But right. the weird part is, is that people choose to commemorate this Either with the icons that show her having her breast on the plate or, like, having these cookies that are shaped and colored like breasts. Like, they just celebrate it in the weirdest ways possible. They do. Catholics are awesome. Yeah. That's why you make such a great Catholic, Casey. (laughs) I was like a a moth to the light. (laughs) Because you're so weird, man. Seriously. Okay, so St. Polycarp, like, they set him Uh on fire. Uh And then he was like, you know, I'm not burning, so flip me over to the other side. And uh, was that St. Polycarp? Yeah, it was St. Polycarp. Okay. Which I don't know what's better, his story about them trying to burn him and then flipping him or his name. Would you name your kid Polycarp? I almost did. I would believe it. I would. So my last ones, he, he was born very close to the Annunciation. So we named him Gabriel. If he were going to be a girl, we didn't know until he was born. We were going to name him Gianna. But I fought hard for Polycarp. I bet you did. That makes so much sense now. (laughs) 
Anyway, I got a great guest coming on the show in the second segment, um, Chris Faddis from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, he runs a business called Benny Plates, which is really a ministry. Anyway, he cooks food, um, and I'll tell the story. He, he'll talk about it, and I, I'm excited to have him on. But it got me thinking not only about weird uh, saints, but weird food. What's the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Hmm, that I've ever eaten personally. So it, it's very um, colloquial, though, I guess. It, it has to do with Acadian. I've, I've sucked a squirrel brain before. That's that's a South Louisiana thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's from your hood. Yeah. That, Next to Ville Platte and Marksville and all yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of people probably listening don't, don't even know what you're talking about where <laughs> or what. But in South Louisiana, squirrel hunting is a big thing. And then they'll cook the heads of the squirrel and then eat the brains. Right. That's a true story. I've, I've done that before. Yes. But I've heard some crazy stories with, like, octopuses and stuff from people who went to China and all kinds of good well, stuff. Well, speaking of Asia, like, one of the big delicacies is chicken feet. Yeah. Would you eat? That's, that's not even just exclusively Asian. They do that here in America, and that's not even nearly the worst thing that they do. Yeah, but you're talking like that's normal. That That's horrible. Chicken feet? <laughs> It's disgusting. Have you ever eaten tripe? I see. I don't know what tripe okay, is. Okay, so tripe is sponge-like. Uh, it, it's basically the stomach of animals. Would you eat? <laughs> would you eat the stomach? I ate a hot dog yesterday. I'm pretty sure that's the same thing. <laughs> I hate hot dogs. It's like the only food I will not eat, man. Mystery meat. Uh, what about cash? K a k h a s h from the Middle East. And what's that supposed it's to be? It's stewed cow's feet and head. See, like, I know this is supposed to gross me out, but I just... Now, look, you're scrolling, and I saw a picture of Spam. That's way worse than any of that stuff. Yeah, what is in Spam? Nobody knows. Exactly, nobody knows. All right, At least but the I, other stuff's fresh. I did see this one uh, documentary, and, and I was reading about it on here, um, but it's a fish in Alaska that they bury underground for, like, weeks, and it becomes rotten. Oh, no. Yeah. And then they eat it. Oh, no. There's yeah. a line. Look, uh, I, I'm not a fan of sushi. Like, I don't love sushi, but, you know, it's it's fresh. People like it, but that's just disgusting. Well, in the Philippines, they eat this thing called balut, which is a um, – it's duck embryo. It's it's a duck in the egg, and they, they eat this squirmy little <sighs> wet – See, we're making this face, but caviar is just fish embryo. Duck. And that's that's a delicacy. Anyway, people eat this stuff, man, Ugh. all around the world. So uh, weird Great stuff. Great show for you today, folks. Yeah, we actually do have a, a really good show. Uh, Chris Faddis will be on from Phoenix, Arizona at BennyPlates.com. Uh, it, it's going to be a powerful story, uh, Casey, about suffering and redemption. And Chris's story and his wife, Angela, what they went through, uh, what they've been through, and what God's done in their life through the course of of their story was is unbelievable he's got a book out um called it is good um he's got a couple of websites some things that he's doing and i would really wanted to have him on the show because his story is powerful and it speaks to me and i think it'll speak to everyone who's who's listening today so uh we'll be right back it's paul georgeship
Welcome back to the Paul George Show on Crestar King Radio and Breadbox Media. We will hear from our guest, Chris Faddis. Here's your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the show. This is Paul George in studio with uh, Casey Traha. And as promoted or expected, I have a wonderful guest with us today, Mr. Chris Faddis from Phoenix, Arizona. Chris, how you doing, man? Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me, brother. You like that? Doing in- really well. You like that intro? It was uh, it was everything I hoped and dreamed for. <laughs> hey, why don't you yeah. uh, why don't you all tell us, man? Like the time that you almost got me fired. Well, I mean, which which time is this? <laughs> oh, you talking about the alarm? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paul and I go way back. Yeah. To, to the way back days. Way you back. Remember days. when you used to challenge me to like walk up to teenagers at high school and eat their pizza? Yes. Yes. Like we would go and literally, I would just grab a kid's pizza and take a bite of it. Yeah, absolutely. And he'd be like, "Why'd you do that?" I'm like, "You told me to." You told me to. <laughs> so anyway, got Chris Faddis here, uh, all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. Chris and I go way back, back in the days where I was a young youth minister, and I needed an assistant, and I hired Chris Faddis. And uh, it's been a lot of years since then, Chris. We've we've gone many different directions all over the country, and uh, of course, you've had quite the journey. And so I, w- I want to talk a little bit about that. But uh, if you're just tuning in, we got Chris Faddis. You can find him on Twitter at Faticus or his website, BennyPlates.com, which we'll get into a little bit later and what Benny Plates is. But anyway, Chris, you and I have been knowing each other for many, many years. And, um, you know, years and years ago, you, you got married uh, finally to this beautiful woman named Angela. And sort of this storybook, you know, bride and, and wedding. And you guys had a few kids. You moved out to, to the East Coast and you guys were living life there. And then things began to kind of change drastically. What happened? Yeah, man. You know, we uh, we were wor- we were living in North Carolina, and I was at the time I, I had been in youth ministry still, and I I had um, left that and was back in kind of the the restaurant management marketing um, work that I did, and and was loving life. I mean, things were going really well. We were we were um, you know in a career path that we felt really good about. Um, we wanted to be back in Arizona, but we we felt like we were in this great position, had a great boss, uh, working with a great group of people, and and Angela had had depression for a couple of years before that and had just come out of that. Hmm. And so it was just this like really special time. And, um, and then, you know, we were going through Lent and Lent was just really, really good for both of us. And, and then she got sick, like, like the week before Holy week, she just started getting sick and not feeling good and, um, really bad stomach pain and just all this stuff going on. And, and it wouldn't stop. And we went to the doctor, went to the doctor again, nothing was, nothing was working. And, she might let up for a few hours or like half a day and then she'd wake up the next day feeling it again. And so, um, we finally, you know, it was basically Holy Saturday night. I was saying, babe, we got to go to the hospital. She didn't want to go. She wanted just to, to wait it out a little bit more. And about 2 a.m. Easter Sunday, she woke me up and said, okay, I can't take the pain. Like we got to go to the hospital. So mm-hmm. we went to the hospital and right away the doctors were like, 31 year old woman, you're just constipated. Don't worry about it. Here's a laxative. And she kept pushing them. No, I've been eating. I've been able to eat. Nothing's coming out. I've been doing this. I did laxatives. I did this. You know, and she, she kept pushing. And finally the doctor said, all right, we'll do, we'll do an x-ray. And they did the x-ray. And it was abnormal because they didn't see anything. And actually like there was, there was things they should have been able to see they couldn't see. Hmm. And then, um, so then they said, well, we'll just do a CAT scan, but you know, go home, take your kids home, feed them breakfast. We'll let you know when she's done. And she told me to go home. So I took the kids home. And then about 10 minutes after getting home, she texts me, you need to get back to the hospital. The doctor wants to talk to you. Wow. So at this so, point, um, you, you guys had how many kids at this point? 
we had two kids. We had, uh, our son was two, our daughter was four, or was just about to be four, actually. She was, she was four a couple days later. Um, and, uh, so we went back and, and, you know, it wasn't even until I kind of started driving back to the hospital that it hit me that if the doctor wants to see me, then it's more than just, you know, constipation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we started praying. My daughter at the time had kind of learned how to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet with us as best she could. And so we prayed that and walked in. The nurse took our kids. I went in the room and these two doctors stood there and said, uh, there's a large mass in your colon. And there's tumors all over your liver, and we're really late. Was basically it, you know. Uh, wow. They didn't really candy coat it. They didn't really know what else to say, and everything went black for me. Like I, it was like shattering glass all over the floor, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, so I mean, really, this is like your worst nightmare as a husband and wife. Yeah. To get not only get the call, but obviously to be there, and the reality that set in that Angela had had cancer. How far along was the cancer by the time you guys? It was it was advanced stage four, so not just stage four, but like advanced into stage four. So um, there was there was about nineteen tumors discernible that they were certain were tumors um, on her liver at this point. So there was other there was other lesions all over her body that they weren't positive about. But um, so yeah, it, it was extremely far along. Uh, we would they didn't tell us this, but uh, in retrospect and talking to other doctors over the time of her treatment and, and getting to know physicians. Um, several physicians have said, looking at her case, what it was diagnosed as, most people would have just sent her to hospice at that point. Wow. Um, and, you know, she was young, and so I think they thought it was worth fighting for. Uh, and so we did. And, you know, the amazing thing, Paul, and I, I just I always want to remember to say this, is that in that moment, and you know me, I, I'm al- I've always been the guy who has something to say. If people are stressed out, I've got something to say. If, a, you know, if the mood's uncomfortable, I've got something humorous to say. Like, this is just who I am, you know. And in that moment, I had I couldn't say anything when we got that those words, you know, when they told us that there was there was a, a tumor there, and um, and Angela was the one who spoke up, and she said, "Jesus still rose, so we will trust." Wow. And it was Easter Sunday, so we were we were still planning on making it to mass somehow that day, even though she was sick. Like we still had Easter plans, you know, we still thought this was going to be a normal Easter, and then we get this diagnosis, and. Um, and rather than lamenting, there's a person who suffered from depression, rather than lamenting, she said, Jesus still rose, so we will trust. Wow. And that was like the most, you know, amazing thing for me because I didn't, I, I, at the moment I was panicking, you know. Um, and really that, that's what marked her, the end of her life was those words because she lived it. Hmm. And she really did. And, you know, what was so amazing about you guys is through the whole journey because uh, you, you, you and I kept in touch uh, was that you, you kept faith, and that's not easy. It wasn't always easy. You guys, you know, really suffered. She suffered physically, spiritually, mentally, and so did you. Um, h- how do you embrace suffering when it's when it's there? Like, you know, a lot of people want to run from it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, tempt- it's definitely tempting <laughs> to run from it. Absolutely. You know? uh, I think Mother Teresa says, you know, when, when Jesus, uh, when you're suffering, it's because Jesus wants to embrace you. If you look at the cross, his arms are outstretched to give you a hug. When you're, when he wants to kiss you, he's bent, his head is bent low so he can kiss you. And somebody said to Mother Teresa, well, you tell Jesus to stop kissing me and to stop hugging me because there's so much <laughs> suffering, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's tempting. You know, we, there were several times I remember having a conversation about being tempted to give up hope. And Angela said, but I can't. I can't give up hope because I've been taught differently. Hmm. I, my, my, I know more, I know differently. And I think, 
it's that, you know, there's that beautiful song, It Is Well With My Soul, and, and it says, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well. It That's is well with my soul. And I think every time we felt that, that desire to give up hope, in a sense, or that temptation, not necessarily desire, but that temptation, um, you know, you would always come back to that, that, no, my heart knows differently, my soul knows differently, I, I've seen a different God. And, and so, you know, we, we just kept going back. So it didn't mean we didn't give up. It didn't mean we never felt there, you know, the frustration. I mean, I remember a week after her diagnosis, I remember yelling at God, like, who, who do you think you are? Why did you think we could handle this? We can't handle this. You right. were wrong. You were wrong. Mm. Why? And the next day, driving, driving with Angela, and she says, hey, you know, I was praying last night, and I feel like God, God really told me, I really understand now why God's doing this. And I said, oh, really? And she said, he's going to use this to purify me. Wow. And I was like, okay, thanks for answering my prayer. Like, you know, <laughs> I yelled at God and he responded, you know. Wow, I think and, you're, uh, uh, you're, you're definitely yeah. speaking to all of us, me, uh, more than any, just about hope, particularly in life where we feel like we don't have hope. We're embracing suffering. We don't know where to go. And, and in you guys' mind, um, although you prayed for healing for Angela, you knew that the diagnosis wasn't good and then that the cancer was, was terminal. Uh, how long did Angela live uh, from the time y'all found out? She, she actually lived 17 months, which was, was in itself probably a miracle. Um, you know, we, we did go through chemo the first, you know, right away. We went and, you know, and, and I think, you know, you remember when we raised a ton of money to pay for treatments that weren't covered by insurance. Uh, that bought her time. But ultimately... I think it was her her resolve and her spirit to to live as much as she could with her kids yeah. and with me and to give that life you know to have that life and so seventeen months uh, at at the stage she was at was was pretty miraculous in itself and I think in that seventeen months um, it really allowed her to to be purified but it also allowed a lot of people including our family I mean you know first and foremost but but even outside of that a lot of people to to see and witness the purpose of suffering and how we can allow God to work in it. Uh, and, and that was just such a gift to be a part of that and to, to, to sit front row and watch that happen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking to Chris Faddis, Phoenix, Arizona, BennyPlates.com. Well, it, it's a powerful story, and it's one that you've continued to tell. One, uh, because you have two kids, Angela, and you loved her to death, and so her story just resounds, and it keeps going, and... You know, I could talk all day about her life and y'all's story uh, because it touches so many hearts. Although, you know, uh, the ending is tragic. Uh, we lost a great woman uh, and mother and wife. Um, but her story goes on because she was really pursuing sainthood. And that was what was most amazing about the suffering that you guys went through is that you really clinged to Jesus during that time. Yeah, by the grace of God. And, I, and I'll tell you, it, it's, and I, I don't know how people do it without Christ. I really don't right. because it, it is so painful, but she, she was such a great witness to that. And, you know, our kids are, our kids are, you know, kind of living examples of that and how they've lived their grief, you know, and how they've, hmm. they've handed that over. And that's been a blessing. Um, and, you know, I, I, we talked about um, this, but, you know, I, I wrote a story, I wrote the book in a story. Angela and I originally were going to write this together, but we wrote uh, a memoir called It Is Well, Life in the Storm, which is her story. So it's, it's essentially the 17-month journey. And, we, we, and Chris, and I want to stop you right there. You can there. find it on Amazon. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. I, I want to stop right there. I want to come back and talk about that book uh, yeah. and how God used your suffering to do great things. Uh, we'll be right back. It's Paul Dorcher.
Welcome back to the Paul George Show on Breadbox Media. More from our guest, Chris Faddis. Here's your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the show. It's Paul George. Great to be with you today. Have a wonderful guest today talking to Chris Faddis, Phoenix, Arizona, at Faticus on Twitter, BennyPlates.com. Anyway, Chris, at the end of the first segment and the last segment, you were talking about uh, Angela's life, and you all began to write a book together, and then you, f- you finish that book. Tell me a little bit about how that book ended up and, and where we can find it. Yeah, you can, you can find it on Amazon. So just It Is Well, Life in the Storm. We just released the second edition. Uh, so make sure you look for that. You know, essentially we started with, with the story, you know, what, what happened, um, you know, and, and it really works through the whole journey, the journey of, of hoping for a medical miracle, realizing that's not coming. And, and then just really the, the understanding of, of accepting what it means to surrender to death, uh, and to allow God to work in that time. So, so just, you know, it's really my front row view of, of Angela's journey. It, it, you know, it comes mostly from my perspective and sharing some of her words and, and some of the profound moments, moments. So I encourage people to get it, whether they're, you know, for whatever reason, just to, just to understand what it means to truly trust God in all circumstances um, and to have that faith. I think it's been a great tool for other people and a great, uh, you know, witness for other people. So that's on Amazon. Um, and again, look for that second edition, because I think that, that has even more of the story, which we're going to talk about now, which is what God's done since her death. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting that a book on pain and suffering uh, it's called It Is Well, because I, th- I think that's what you guys figured out, that in the end, uh, God wins, Angela wins, mm-hmm. heaven awaits and exists. And the hope that we have uh, in Jesus is that, you know, we're all going to die. Uh, and so uh, someone told me, you know, we're all going to die. We might as well start dying now, preparing for mm-hmm. for that time we embrace Jesus and he embraces us. And you guys just lived that at a very young age. You experienced it, and so it as well is out there on Amazon. But you know, it was you had your whole life ahead of you. You couldn't just quit. You know, you had two kids. You're a single dad, right? And uh, you know, I, I just remember thinking, man, uh, gosh. And you know, you just pulled it together, and it wasn't easy. Um, and then God just was not done with you. You know, so you, this this vision of what I want to bring up is. Um, vision for Benny plates begin to came come about when Angela was sick. And now you run this thing called Benny plates. Uh, tell me a little bit about Benny plates. Yeah. You know, uh, and just to say, about, you know, kind of moving forward is God really, he, he made it very clear to me that I, like you said, I couldn't give up. We had to live life and I couldn't do it alone. And so in that whole story, you'll see this in the book, but we, I've actually been remarried now. Uh, we have a new baby and, and we, you know, we have a complete family again with, with somebody in heaven praying for us, which is amazing. Yeah. That's an amazing gift. And yeah, I was going to bring that uh, up, but you, you did get remarried. I mean, you were, you were too yeah. young to, to stay single for the rest of your life, man. Yeah. I, well, and I thought it would, I was one of those people who was like, no, you only get married one time, but you know, <laughs> God opened my heart. My kids opened my heart. They wanted that. So it's been a great blessing. And I don't think I could have done what God's asking me to do now without that. So, you know, it, it's been a gift and, but yeah, so Ben A. Plates, you know, when Angela was sick, one of the things we really found important and, and saw the need for was her nutrition. She, you know, cancer patients lose weight at a, at a very fast clip and um, for many reasons, but it, it actually, and it's something that we kind of just see and deal with and we all say, oh, that's really bad, bad to see. But I don't think um, really until recently people have really recognized how how severely important it is that we pay attention to that. And, and Angela and I just figured out that, 40% of cancer patients actually die from malnutrition. Mm. People that die from the disease. And so 
and, and not, not only time. is it uh, is it that they that they lose weight fast, but they don't eat healthy. There's no healthy alternatives for right. sick patients. Yeah, and, and there's a whole lot of scientific. I mean, for one thing, your body responds better to treatment when you're eating well. You know, the, the chemotherapy is is targeting damaged cells. So if your if your cells are damaged because they're malnourished, then the chemotherapy is going to damage your own cells more than it's going to go after the chem- the cancer. So it's really important that we're what, that we're nutrient efficient. So that the chemo will pass by the healthy cells and go after those damaged, you know, cancer cells. So there's a lot of things there, but there's also the the, the fact that it's at a certain point you have to stop treatment if you're not able to truly metabolize the, the um, therapeutic agents. And so, so there's there's all kinds of balances there you've got to strike. There's taste issues. There's all that. And so we were at a hospital that took nutrition seriously. It was really helpful for Angela. Um, and when we were leaving there to go to hospice. I was saying bye to the chef, and there was a lady taking a bag of food home. Hmm. And as I walked this, watched this lady walk out with a bag of food from a hospital, no less, because their food was really good, he said, you know, there's a lot of people who can't cook this way, so they take the food home with them. And, I, and that was it. That was the idea. It was right there in that moment saying, we got to create a kitchen where we can ship these meals to people. Hmm. And so, we, uh, you know, I told Angela on our way to home, home to hospice, and she, and you know me, Paul, I'm an idea guy, so... You know, she's like, you know, this is your best idea yet. You need to do it. You need to move forward. So I, I, uh, you know, I kind of set that in my mind. We went through. Plus, you love food, man. You love food. Yeah, I do love food. You can tell that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and another good friend of ours, uh, Dr. John Ertley, and I, you know, spent a lot of time talking about it. And he, you know, as he's seeing these chronically ill patients, he's saying, dude, you've got to do this. And so. Went through and did a lot of research. It took us about three years to launch, but we're we're out there now. We're we ship food nationwide. Um, we you know provide the meals. We have nutrition services for folks we can offer, and, and you know some dietary guidance and things. And then every week we're we're producing food and, and sending it out to people who are well, you know, just people who need need good food on a regular basis, as well as lots of cancer patients, diabetes, heart disease, things like that. And, Absolutely, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, you're just tuning in. I'm talking to Chris Fattis. Phoenix, Arizona, at Faticus on Twitter or BennyPlates.com. We're talking about this. It's really a food revolution, man, that you're starting. It's not only for sick people who need healthy food during the time that they're sick, but also for people like Casey Traha in studio who just needs to eat healthy uh, and needs a plan. So people can go to BennyPlates.com and, and they could, what, pick a menu, have food shipped to them, what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you pick your you pick your meals. We can we have some customization available. You know, you pick your size and all that. Uh, and we're adding more and more as we go. We're right. adding different products and different you know um, you know releasing new menus. We have a great menu team, including Father Leo Padalingug and uh, who many people know from EWTN. Right. And uh, you know some other great chefs here in the valley. So we focus on the food being really really good, and then we focus on it being really really healthy. It's a so, great you know, cause. We're, we're not man. just serving. Kale, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's such a great chips. cause. There's no kale chips on our menu, actually. So. <laughs> yeah, you can't box up, box up a hipster meal, huh? Right, right. Well, it, it's pretty – our meals are fairly hipster, really. But, <laughs> but yeah, not not necessarily. No kombucha right now, although my nutritionist would say we should carry kombucha. So maybe we will have it someday. I don't know. But, um, but you know, it's good hearty stuff. So, we, you know, we've got great things like beef pot roast. And, uh, you know, you remember, Paul, from the Great American Southwest, machaca beef burritos. We have great machaca beef. and um, What about tripe? You know, some really hearty meals. Do you have tripe? It's... We don't have any tripe. No tripe tacos here. No, not on this menu. So, But if you want to come over, I'll make you some. <laughs> 
anyway, man, it is a food revolution, but God has really used you. I, you know, the situation with Angela, uh, you know, and the tragedy there has really, you have an intercessor now, your family, and God is doing great things, not only with Benny Plates, um, but through that whole thing, um, you, you've also a part of a team uh, with SolidarityHealthShare.com, which is which is a, a religious health sharing network to help people who can't uh, afford health insurance. And you experienced that when Angela was sick. Yeah, you know, we had we had the whole body of Christ help support us, you know, and that was huge. And 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 honestly, we experienced the pain of insurance because it was it, there was a lot of things that it wasn't covering and, and all of that. So. So this, you know, this uh, group, you know, we we band together as Christians and we we support each other's medical needs. Uh, my family's opted out of insurance. We no longer carry insurance. We use the health share, and it and it's been an amazing gift. I got to tell you, I've been doing health sharing since Angela died, hmm. uh, and truthfully, we've had a much better uh, experience than than what we dealt with with insurance. Um, and and now that we have a Catholic health share, that's uh, open to all believers, but it, it's it's a Catholic and, and founding and, and all of that. Um, it's really great to see as we've we've just launched this summer, see people come on board and, and all these families coming together, knowing that when I pay my monthly you know uh, contribution into my health uh, health share, that's going to a family that's in the pew with me. Uh, that there's a there's a great gift there. Man, it's so cool. Actually, you were telling me a little bit about it at the break. It's solidarityhealthshare.com, and you know in this time season where health insurance is expensive and. Um, a lot of people can't afford it. And not only that, um, just the, the ethics behind a lot of it. Uh, this this sort of buries people into to being, you know, staying Christian, true to their beliefs, and, and having coverage and helping their neighbor and loving their neighbor. So it's it's all interconnected, you know. So you're providing people food and and healthcare, man. You're doing pretty good there. Oh, thanks, man. You know, God, it's been a gift. I feel like it, it it's. Uh... I was left behind for a purpose and a, and a mission, and, and that's what we'll, we're hopefully doing it faithfully uh, and humbly. We can use prayers because it's, it's not easy, but um, but it's been a real gift, and, and, and it's really an amazing thing to watch as as we do impact just even one family or one life or one cancer patient. Um, you know, there's there's uh, some real purpose there, and people always ask me, you know, do you wish you would have had these services when Angela was was alive? With you know, uh, our friend John, is, you know, he's Literally, people are getting cured by his therapies that he's doing with them. And people will say, does that make you sad? And it doesn't. It, it makes me so joyful and grateful that her life and, and, and her leaving this earth caused so much uh, motiv- motivation and inspiration to go impact other people and hopefully save some lives. So. Yeah, and I think that story is true for all of us in a sense that um, whatever we've been dealt with in life, God can use. And God's not yeah. done with us yet, uh, no matter who we are or where we are. We're still on this planet. We're still breathing and walking. God wants to use us. He's never done with us, and you're a testament to that. So I, I want people to visit uh, BennyPlates.com. They can check out how cool um, you know that food service is and how awesome it is. The, the website's fabulous. Or SolidarityHealthShare.com. Chris, thanks so much, man, for, for coming on the show today. Uh, I'm going to work for you one day. Oh, dude, Paul, I love you, brother. You're still... You're still my favorite boss. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm your, I think I'm the only one you ever had, man. You've been working for yourself well, you're ever since. you're probably the only one I ever listened to. So, you know, <laughs> it's, all good. it's all good. So thank you so much for, for having me on today. All right, bro. Love you, man. Keep up the great work. Love you, too. All right. God, God bless. bless. That was Chris Faddis. Thanks for coming on the show, man. It's Paul George. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Paul George Show on Christ Our King Radio and Breadbox Media. Here's your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the show. Good to be with you today. Great conversation with Chris Faddis. Casey, very, very good conversation with Chris Faddis. So y'all, y'all didn't really get into it. Do you know how old he was when all this happened? Oh, he's 31. Wow. Yeah. And he had two children. Two two kids, married for a few years. I, I don't know how long they were married um, when she passed away, but four or five years maybe. It's crazy. It, it's a fascinating story, and there's there's a lot to chew on. Um, however, Paul, yeah. before we start chewing, get the tie in the Benny plates. I did it. Anyway, so I had, I had a little You're going game. back to those weird foods in the first segment. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, uh, I had a little game that I wanted to play. Have you ever played the game Never Have I Ever? Yeah, basically. There's different versions of it. There's a version that usually involves alcohol, which we don't have that here in the studio. Right. However. But it's still fun. Yeah, I figured we could just throw out a few things. So I, I wrote down a few of them as y'all were talking. Completely random. Has nothing to do with See, mine aren't random. They're all going to tie in. Of course they are, because that's what you do. Fine, I'll go first. All right. Never Have I Ever... Set someone else on fire. Purposefully or accidentally. So I basically have to guess whether you did that no, or not. No, 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 no. You have to tell me whether you've done that or right. not. Um, I, I can I can save I've, the mystery. I have. <laughs> I, I've set something on fire, like a house, <clears throat> but I've never set a person on fire. So I accidentally set a person on fire. Wow. My dad set himself on fire on accident. He was pouring gas on a pile of leaves, and then he put the gas can next to him, usually, lit it, and then it blew up, and it set all of his leg hair on fire. That's usually how it happens. <laughs> I have quite a few stories. And I grew up in Welsh, Louisiana, so that's, what, that's you know what I every did other weekend. In that moment, that? I laughed so hard. It was so hysterical <laughs> to, to see my dad jumping around. Oh, my gosh. That was awesome. Anyway, I enjoy people's pain. All right, so so never have I ever ever I don't even know how to say it. Uh, have <laughs> basically okay. Here's a question. I'm gonna turn around because the ever ever is getting me all all mixed up. Uh, have you see since that woman stole a Bible? Have you ever stolen something and not told anybody? Have I ever stolen something and not told someone? I stole something in the fourth grade and got caught. So no. Okay, so you got caught. Yeah. Yeah, I sold a candy bar out of a 7-Eleven when I was a kid, and I still feel horrible about it. I never got caught. Yeah, that's terrible. I, I, from a store, see, I, I did just think No, I was a kid. Though. No, I went to confession probably years and years ago, many years, many, many years. But I still feel horrible about it. So I just remembered my brother used to have a bottom drawer full of change. Like he, instead of his car, he would just dump it, and, and I'd go borrow from that every now and then. So you would steal the money from it. Borrow and never pay back. Yeah. Right, yeah. So it's, that, it's, There's something different about family, though, especially when you're two kids. Like taking quarters out of, out of your brother's drawer just doesn't feel as bad. Right. So, my, my kids take my stuff all the time without asking. Total digression, but this is one of the things that led me to the church, believe it or not. That act right there. Because Stealing? as a fundamental, yeah, as a fundamentalist, they would say basically that act of me taking my brother's quarter would be the same as taking uh, a $1,500 diamond ring. That's an example. So there's no difference in, the, in sin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's no difference between mortal and venial. I, uh, I, sin's a sin. I wrestled with that my entire life before right. becoming Catholic. Yeah, absolutely. Which which that's a you know Protestant teaching, which I'm sure c- yeah. converting to the church... Uh, you had to be like, wait, what? There's different like 
levels of sin makes so much sense. Makes okay. so much sense. Back to the topic at hand. Okay. I, so again, never have I ever, which I have, and I wonder if you have, played a mass multiplayer online game. Never. I don't even know what that means. Dang, I thought I was going to catch you with this. An MMO is basically where you, you play a game on a server with other people. Like right. World of Warcraft would be one of the more popular ones, okay. but there's a gazillion of them. Dang, I was hoping to catch you. Oh, well. Yeah. No, I, I just can't get into video games, and I try to tell kids not to either because they don't study or do their work or responsible or do anything. So any, ever have, have you ever uh, – okay, have you ever done this? Have you ever cooked a food and told someone it was something different and gave it to them? <laughs> no. No? That's very clever, though. That no. is clever. Uh, so my my brother's dad, my brother, my stepbrother's dad, uh, cooked a raccoon, barbecued it, and put barbecue sauce and shredded it, and and told him it was pulled pork, and he never <laughs> knew the difference. Was this in Marksville, Central Louisiana? This is in the middle of Louisiana, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Squirrel country. Yeah, raccoon. So anyway, Casey, uh, the conversation with Chris uh, is really amazing. And one of the things that he said, uh, we really get to talk about a lot because we didn't have a lot of time, was he said this line, and I thought it resonated with me, is he says, it was tempting to run from the suffering. It was tempting to run from the suffering. Uh, and, and and I find that true in our culture, that anytime there's difficulty, anytime there's suffering, uh, anytime there's hardship, uh, our re- reaction oftentimes as humans is is to run from it, to not embrace it. It's it's a natural reaction if you think about it. If you don't have the understanding of what suffering is for, right? And I mean, this isn't just uh, a non-Christian thing. Like, I feel like Catholics have the monopoly on this idea, right? Right, of but the, what suffering means, right? And one of the things that that actually opened my eyes to the church more and more was the teaching on redemptive suffering. Because none of us are void of hardship uh, or suffering. We all live life, and life's difficult. So to think someone else has this great life and someone else, we all experience suffering. And the meaning of suffering as taught through Scripture in the church, uh, to me, is the most beautiful teaching that the church has. But when Chris was talking about how tempting it is to run from it, you see in our culture today how true that is. And you and I were talking in between segments about, you know, in some states, it's legal to to have assisted suicide uh, when someone's dying, you know. And to think what would have happened if him and Angela would have chosen that route, the beauty that they would have missed out on on growing closer to Christ mm-hmm. uh, during that time of suffering. And yet, people are choosing this this route of murder, suicide, of 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 avoiding the pain and suffering and and dying. It's a hot topic around the country right now. Specifically, um, Colorado is voting on one this election, Proposition 106. And I've listened to a podcast extensively from some priest in Colorado <clears throat> talking about this. And I, I can't imagine just having to be on the other side of that aisle and defending against assisted suicide. Because, again, from a surface level, it seems very altruistic. It right. really does. Like right. we, we, we are helping these people. Who are you to say that these people have to suffer? Right. But without that understanding of what suffering is for through the lens of what the church has to offer, it just doesn't make sense. Well, and as Chris talked about, 
how do you understand suffering if you don't understand Christ? And that's what he said. If, if you don't know Christ or, or the meaning of Christ and his suffering, then suffering makes no sense. So, so yeah, for someone who, who doesn't know Christ or have faith, uh, just to say, my, my life isn't worth anything. My suffering isn't worth anything. So I have nothing to offer the world. Uh, I'm dying, and so it's better for me just to die. Let, let me take a pill or a drug or whatever it is and just die. And I'll have no pain. And, and that's what people are fighting for. But yet, that takes away our humanity. I mean, part of our life is suffering, and part of our life is embracing Christ and our suffering. And not only do we grow in holiness and in virtue through our suffering, but that suffering is offered for other people. So our suffering becomes a prayer uh, for for others who are dealing with things. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been in ministry a long time. How Have you ever come face-to-face with someone in this position, either on their deathbed or just through immense suffering, and kind of have a similar outlook that Angela did is offering that? Yeah, I, and I've had it in in both circumstances. I, I had someone close to me um, dying with cancer who had real no meaning of faith, and 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 the suffering just seemed empty, and it was hard and difficult, but it just seemed empty. And then I had another family member who I was close to, who before he he really got close to to his deathbed, priest really explained to him what he was going to go through, and that his suffering could could really be offered for for prayers and petitions for things that he had. And so he made a prayer list before he got to that point. And during that time of deep suffering as he was dying, um, he was his prayers were being offered. And there there was like the spirit of God was in the room in his suffering. You could you could feel um, just the intercession that was happening as he was embracing Christ on the cross. Now for those of us who are Christian, we're listening, like our suffering has meaning. Could you imagine this, that if Jesus was on the cross and just said, hey, this is too difficult, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm getting off. What meaning would his would his death have for us? Zero meaning. Christ takes on suffering, shows us how to suffer and die, so that we too uh, know how to suffer and die, and, and to embrace Christ in that moment. And, you know, one of, one of, I think both of our favorite saints, John Paul II, um, he showed the world how to die in a way that was beautiful and had meaning. And and I thought that was one of, you know, he taught a lot and wrote a lot. But I didn't think there was any greater teaching that he ever did than the way that he died. And then Mother Teresa as well, and recognizing that in others. Yeah, they weren't afraid from it. They didn't run from it. They didn't hide from it. Even as their bodies were failing... They didn't shield the world from it. They they embraced the pain and the suffering because they knew that's where Christ was. And not only for themselves, but they knew that the world needed their prayers of suffering. And what greater moment in our life do we cling to Christ than when we're in pain and suffering? And someone said the other day on Twitter, I was reading, they said, uh, where there is anxiety, there is no God. And I thought, that is could not be more false. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is, where there's anxiety... Where there's suffering and pain, there is God. That's where we find God, and that's where our prayer begins. So thanks for listening today to Paul George Show. We had a great guest. Thanks to Chris Faddis, Casey Tron. Thanks for being here today. We'll talk to you next week. God bless.